Well, here I sit at my desk putting off recording this, but hey, welcome dear listeners to the 601st and final show on the beloved 3CR Airwaves. Yes, that's it, my friends. After 14 years of bringing these stories to you, of digging in to reveal just how monopolists sneak into your wallet with their invisible hand to steal your hard-earned cash on a Friday night, I'm in urgent need of a rest. Running 27 acres up here uh, at Windfall Commons, I'm working seven days a week. I'm absolutely wrecked. So yeah, it's time to freshen up a little and consider the best use of my time. So perhaps that'll be a shorter podcast season. Maybe video. Maybe it's just time to hang up the mic and lobby MPs and write geeky reports. So I thought uh, one way to spend our last half hour together is to evaluate Renegade Economist in light of some recent victories. Last Thursday, about 5 p.m., it was a historic day for uh, members of Prosper Australia. We finally got some reasonable legislation passed when the Victorian Parliament voted to pass the legislation for the windfall gains tax here in Victoria. Uh, For the last six months or so, we've been involved in uh, the tax design stakeholder negotiations with Treasury. We even uh, sat in on a, a stakeholder meeting with the property lobby and saw them absolutely spit the dummy Oh my God, that was hilarious. After 20 minutes of them uh, ranting and raving about what an outrage it was for them to be repaying some of the incredible windfalls that they receive when uh, the Golden Pentic runs their way, when land gets rezoned from farming to residential. After about 20 minutes of this, I piped up and said, look, I'm here on behalf of Prosper Australia and we think this is a great tax being implemented at a very good time. It's high time uh, that these windfalls were shared with all taxpayers. Ah, gee, did that feel good. But uh, I was sure there was going to be some amendments coming through. There was going to be some sort of late drama created by the property lobby. Uh, Of course, there were. But uh, we'd done the groundwork with the crossbenchers and uh, many of them were already warming to the concept of uh, the property sector, the most lucrative in the nation, sharing some of their benefits. Uh, Every other industry has been on their knees with the pandemic, but of course uh, the property lobby, uh, property interests uh, have continued to skyrocket. So here is the Animal Justice Party, Andy Medic, uh, and his speech commending the windfall gains tax. This bill will ensure that the next generation of land bankers will pay their fair share. Never again will an example like the Calcallo sisters occur, where they shared in a $300 million windfall due to rezoning. Under today's legislation, they would have to make do with just $150 million, which sounds like it's still a pretty good deal to me. Of all the taxes collected by state or federal governments, windfall gains tax, along with other land taxes, 
are the most morally just and their imposition is long overdue. We also enjoyed uh, Fiona Patton's reference in Hansard. She was quoted as saying that the windfall gains tax, which is just so you know, uh, yeah, developers who make over $100,000, between $100,000 to $500,000 for a few months' work, probably something in the order of twenty dollars to $100,000 in planning fees. Um, if they're to make between $100,000 and $500,000, they share 62.5% of that back with the community. Uh, but if they make over $500,000, uh, they, they have to pay half of it back. So you heard Andy Medic there mention the Kelkalo sisters, an issue we've covered on the show before. They made $300 million on a 1,100-acre property off the Hume Highway there. And, uh, yeah, that was just untold returns. What a windfall. And uh, you can see it in the Murdoch press. They sort of write it up as a Tats Lotto win. Well, here's what Fiona Patton said about the tax. It's about sharing that sometimes absolute mozza that people can make from a planning decision. This can be a win for the developers. I mean, the developers are the ones who actually do the hard work. Those that are possibly just speculating on the land, the cowboy rent seekers, now will not be able to take all the cream and leave the site with very little money. Rather than profits going to overseas companies, property share portfolios, those funds will be reinvested into roads, plumbing and the environment. So that was great to see that some of our work was actually paying off. Also last week, the current uh, Felinski inquiry into housing affordability and supply saw Saul Eslake summarise, as only he can, one of Australia's great economists, Prosper's primary policy tool, the land tax, and why it's such an integral part of housing affordability policy. Let's hear him at the inquiry. And there's no evidence that reductions in stamp duty, either in general or targeted at particular groups, have done anything to increase the home ownership rate. You know, a much better reform in my view would be to replace stamp duty entirely with a more broadly based land tax, because both economic theory and evidence suggests that a broadly based land tax, which everyone would have to pay, reduces the future value of that land because there's an additional stream of obligations associated with it and would hence be reflected in lower land prices. So the kind of reform that has been talked about in New South Wales and in a rather different way implemented over time in the ACT, I think would do more to improve housing affordability than tinkering with the stamp duty system, which by almost universal opinion across economists is the worst form of taxation that exists in Australia at the moment. I just love how he summarises that. A broad-based land tax, which everyone would have to pay, reduces the future value of land because there's an additional stream of obligations, i.e. the land tax, associated with it. And hence, the word hence, of course, always gets my attention, would be reflected in lower land prices. And that kind of summarises one of our key themes here of channeling the property bubble away from the banking system, away from... Uh, this first come, first serve mentality, baby boomers uh, winning, 
hand over fist and towards channeling that towards lower land prices and the other bit Saul mentioned uh, reducing stamp duties it's going to be very interesting to see what happens in New South Wales where again we've been heavily involved in stamp duty to land tax negotiations with uh, New South Wales Treasury I always sort of think that renegade economists are those that that shine a light on the biggest issues too politically difficult to touch and when you think about economics, uh, how it's become a diversion play for monopolists, our, our theme on the show here, rather than an accurate interpretation of reality, we need this profession to modernise. You can think of the land bubble, the privatisation agenda, and insiders benefiting from this grey corruption. We can think of the climate as a private dumping ground for polluters. We can think of restoring the commons, our common birthright to the earth. These are all things that uh, are seen as too difficult and what the economics profession really needs to focus in on. Much of our problem is that the data itself, a form of commons, has been privatised and sold off to CoreLogic, multinational company, and uh, costs a fortune for little NGOs like us to access that data to see what's really going on in our communities it's all part of the process, the barrier to analysis. So, uh, you know, the economics can continue as this uh, so-called science that refuses to refine its processes uh, based on uh, feedback loops, on historical knowledge. And instead, ideologies have been developed to protect the untouchables from effectively giving back to society. Thus, we have this boom-bust mentality reigning supreme with economic history whitewashed it's like playing the game of life without any understanding of the rules to economic engagement that's just what the wealthy want and that's just the sort of hangover we have of a property owning democracy where it's only been 70 years since you were required to be a, a property owner to become a member of the upper house, the legislative council here in Victoria. So that's the challenge for the future, how the everyday person can sidestep, well, I suppose sidestep's the wrong word, but recognise identity politics is important, but the one common denominator across all identities is that the majority of us are wage earners. That is the thing that binds us all together. And... If the people we work for are paying so much on rent because there's all these vacant commercial properties around, there's all these vacant residential homes around, we have a situation where it's hard for employers to actually give us wage rises because the rent is too damn high. On top of that, the tax system is too damn high. Why not collapse rents into the tax system from that, pushing down the price of goods and services, de-escalating the need to rely on income taxes, and instead channel the property bubble towards making life easier for us all. Let's slow down that treadmill that's driving society at a million miles an hour off a huge climate-focused cliff, but still the land price skyrockets. Hello, Freesia. 
So last show was just before grand final day for Georges, just before the national accounts were released. And I predicted that land prices would increase by some $700 billion. Now this would have been at the top end of the 20-year average. But instead, land prices increased by $1.72 trillion. I was an entire $1 trillion off the mark. That's how dramatic the billions and billions of dollars in JobKeeper and JobSeeker and HomeBuilder have flown into the property market. That is why land price takes all the gains. Any improvements we make to our lives end up being capitalised into higher locational values and those who own the best locations clean up. So, God damn, you can imagine I hit the roof. 1.72 trill, that's 86 times the current banking profits or more than the entire value of the ASX. Like, these are staggering numbers, and do you think anyone picked up our press release? Well, none of the mainstream. Thank God for uh, Brisbane's urban developer. They they latched the story together with um, another story uh, critiquing the windfall gains tax from uh, a bit of an inaccurate front. But uh, at least there was a smidgen of uh, our story getting out there. So what did that look like between New South Wales and Victoria? Well... Goodness me, New South Wales itself increased by $706 billion. Victoria, $444 billion. That's some 69.3% of the national increase in land prices taken up by our two biggest cities. So the taxpayers uh, interstate are getting ripped off well and truly, particularly those in the rental market. We missed out on $1.72 trillion. And here we are uh, with the narrative in uh, the mainstream that supposed dull bludgers, people uh, requiring government uh, support. So in 2019-20, with the coronavirus expenditure increasing welfare payments by over 12% to a total amount of $196 billion, According to the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare, Division of Government, now of that $195.7 billion, only 9.5% or $18.5 billion went to unemployed people. That's $18.5 billion went to unemployed people out of nearly $200 billion. 39% for retirees, 26% for disability, 20% for middle class welfare, families and children. So what does that look like in terms of a per capita, per person windfall? Well, it's about $67,000 for each and every person. But if we accept that, there's only, it's a very rough calculation. Let's just say 7 million people are renters. That means landholding families made some $95,500 per person 
renters totally missed out on that and have to pay income tax, have to pay sales tax, have to work for companies that pay company tax that mean they can't uh, give wage rises. So this is the secret subsidy and I wish the freak I could wake people up. It's done my head in over these 14 years that there's still barely anyone listening to this show. Get that off my bloody chest. We live in a world where the invisible hand of the market is ably abetted by the invisible analysis of supply hoarding. We're talking speculative vacancies. We're talking about land banks that aren't measured in our vacancies records. There's some 350,000 lots here in Melbourne, but uh, barely 20,000 are allowed onto the market each year. From that, they choke the price upwards. But hey, perfect information for land bankers is a faulty vacancy rate backed up by zero oversight of the thousands of rezonings handed out as if competition really exists. Oversight is compounded by the legal chasm between the behaviour of real estate agents and any financial securities land bankers may develop. Zero oversight is provided of land bankers and their stage releases and any of the shenanigans that may occur surrounding those aspects of the market. What am I saying there? Well, you've heard the story about the vacancy rate, not including speculative vacancies. We, we hand out all these rezonings, but there's no analysis of the cumulative amount of rezonings, what we're now calling zoned capacity, and how many of those actually come onto the market. But yet our housing policy is driven by this belief that uh, more land supply equals more housing supply, which pushes down prices. But tell me, why would developers continue to maintain supply Why would they try and push down prices when their shareholders say, no, you're not allowed to do that, when their banks come racing at them, when even there's the first hint of land prices falling? Uh, It just does not make economic sense. But the whole Western world, the edifice of housing affordability thinking, is based around that concept that developers, out of the goodness of their own heart, will keep flooding the market to push down housing prices. Never have I seen a politician publicly ask what return on investment the public has received for sprawling so many kilometres in this vain effort to finally deliver affordable housing. Instead, what we're getting out on the sprawl is smaller and smaller land blocks. You know, people have barely got a picnic rug's worth of backyard some 45 minutes out of uh, Melbourne so that the headline access price sticks around that four hundred to $450,000 is supposedly affordable. But if you dig in and look at the per metre cost to those sites... They're at record highs, but yet all we need is more supply. So that's why we say more supply equals rezone my land and make me a millionaire. So at least this windfall gains tax is going to deter some of the corrupt practices we hear about. We saw the John Woodman scandal down in Casey. Absolutely massive story that Royce Miller at the age broke was... uh, 
a definition of how far Fairfax Media has gone under their new owners uh, of uh, Channel 9 uh, in that after decades of campaigning about this story, the age, even the Sunday age, which was the last bastion of Clay Lucas and Royce Miller, did not cover this windfall gains tax. Uh, only junior writers wrote about it in June or July of this year, but there was no mention of it uh, over the weekend. So, um, yeah, long live 3CR. We've got to keep uh, these public airwaves flowing. Whatever you do, I've always dreamt of someone saying, well, I mow the lawns listening to this podcast. Really helps. Uh, I ride to work. Uh, no, I just wash the bloody dishes to it. Thanks for firing me up and helping me through. Huh. So one of the ways I thought we'd spend this time together was to talk about 3CR itself and how the foundations of this incredible organisation borrow tenants from the broader principles of our dear show. So back in the mid-70s, 3CR was born out of a frustration with the federal government who were hoarding acting as monopolists, the control of spectrum licenses. And there was a feeling this was primarily in aid of commercial broadcasters. At that time, the the Fraser government was uh, applying a heap of pressure on the ABC, just like the Liberals are today federally, but uh, there was a need for a public voice. And so the Community Radio Federation was formed and uh, they gained access to the spectrum to what we so idly now mention as the public airwaves. And this was the first element of property rights, of sharing the commons that the station relied upon. So in 1976, the Community Radio Federation hit the airwaves on a full-time basis and just seven years later had moved for the third time to what would be their permanent home of 21 to 23 Smith Street, Collingwood. And, of course, their second major step of owning land was finalised in 1983. Now, I don't know how these funds were raised, but I kind of assume it was through radiothons and dedicated savings. They were a committed bunch... But uh, this one factor put 3CR head and shoulders above uh, local competitors, 3RRR and 3PBS. And, uh, you know, the precarity we've seen of NGO colleagues like uh, Friends of the Earth uh, was avoided because they had purchased this site and had a permanent home free from rent racking. Now, what about the timing of this? You've heard me discuss the 18.6 year real estate cycle. And uh, when you consider it in that light, it was exceptional timing, 1983, just a couple of years before the liberalisation of the financial system and the start of the runaway land price train we see today. Still can't believe that. $1.72 trillion. Goodness me. <sighs> the third step in the 3CR founders establishing themselves beyond the reach of monopolistic parasites that's, you know, really subtly tearing our communities apart was the purchasing of the Werribee transmitter site in 1996. This was part of the 20-year celebration. A number of years of hard savings led to that purchase 
And again, what perfect timing. Just a few years before the halving of the capital gains tax in 1999, which really lit the fuse of Australian residential and commercial land prices. And apparently, uh, Werribee, this site, is now very, very valuable. And it was by about this time that the broadcast licence had evolved from a narrow geographic location to one where all of Melbourne could listen. The decision to stay on the AM band probably guaranteed freedom of speech and also from the transmitter bandits that put so much pressure on stations like 3PBS, legendary music station here, uh, who are rumoured to be paying some $120,000 a year to those who supposedly own the transmitters and thus the right to broadcast on the once public airwaves. And so to round this out, when I talk about uh, property rights, I mean under our Georgia system that private tenure is guaranteed as long as uh, the land rent is paid to the government rather than to the banks. So any improvements 3CR makes on the site in terms of its building are not penalised with higher council ratings, i.e. we need to return back to site value rating. What about with, with the, the Spectrum? Well, instead of that 120-odd K from PBS going into uh, the hands of uh, International Infrastructure Consortium, maybe 10 or 12,000 would go directly to the government and that alongside the land rents, alongside the mineral rents, alongside the fishing rights, alongside the water trading rights, alongside the patenting rights. Goodness me, there should, you know, there should also be a corporate commons fee for those uh, companies that float on the share market. Uh, the public comments of our court system, the legal contracts, they should be paid via a share of the IPO float. Often uh, the value of a company increases by 30% due to that speculative pressure. Well, why doesn't some of that, most of that increase, go back to the government? Then we can get rid of company tax. We can really streamline this system so that it's only the monopolists at the top of the tree who pay their fair share. And if workers feel like they're getting dudded by corporates, well, hopefully they can go and start their own business because there'll be a shit ton less paperwork to deal with. So that's the sort of future we're talking about. And, you know, now I'm stepping back from this radio show who knows, I'm hopefully going to have more time to uh, get our Windfall Commons project up here in Drummond off the ground. Uh, yeah, it's been a slow process, uh, almost uh, got on top of the thistles, getting close to getting on top of the gorse, thanks uh, to our, well, we've only got one goat now, tragic loss of the family recently. Um, but it feels like after uh, four and a half years um, establishing networks, uh, building up uh, connections through the community, that um, it must be time uh, we got that project off the ground. So uh, if you're so enamoured, uh, please reach out and say hello, renegades at earthsharing.org.au. I'd love a few prompts to keep me uh, pushing ahead on that project. It's so easy to... Um, Think of the enormity of uh, going through the planning process, 
all of the um, regulatory deals I need to deal with and um, there's just not enough hours in the day. But what about 3CR? Sitting on this beautiful site at 21 to 23 Smith Street, in a city surrounded by redevelopment. There's been informal talks before, but I'd love to see 3CR establish CLT above the studios. If uh, they did apply for that rezoning, say six units uh, to be developed above, they could partner with the community housing provider to sidestep the windfall gains tax. From that, uh, the station would probably have an extra 10, 20K a year per site, probably an extra twelve to $13,000 a year in land rent that would go back to the Community Radio Federation Land Trust. And uh, per, that's per property. So there's another $80,000, $90,000 a year. Um, and that would be affordable for two-bedroom apartments and uh the, the purchasers of those sites would only have to borrow for the improvements. So instead of borrowing 500k, they'd be borrowing only 200. But like Saul Eslake said earlier, with that stream of obligations into the future, they would pay a land rent that goes back to the community rather than leaking into the corridors of power via the banking and property speculation arms of uh, society. So yeah, there's sort of the, the real world examples we'd love to see come into play. Uh, you know, it's been uh, an incredible time bringing this story to you. And uh, yeah, I hope we can stay in touch some way, somehow. Check uh, out Earth Sharing on Twitter. That's Earth Sharing on Twitter. You'll find me there. I've got a talk coming up uh, for M Pavilion on December 7, 2021. Thanks very much. My name's Carl Fitzgerald. It's been an absolute pleasure here on the beloved 3CR Airwaves. Don't stop now. <laughs> the breakdown of world finance is that essentially the crooks took over and were promoted on the guise that crime is the free market. Crime is the American way. Crime is what the Washington consensus supports. Yeah! soon enough I always do I know you're not yelling like before which is good but I can tell you're still holding on to it and we need to work on your anger issues Elliot you're angry at everyone at society fuck society I know you have a lot to be angry about but keeping it to yourself and staying quiet like you're doing it's not going to help you there's pain underneath that's where our work needs to go What is it about society that disappoints you so much? Oh, I don't know. Is it that we collectively thought Steve Jobs was a great man, even when we knew he made billions off the backs of children? Or maybe it's that it feels like all our heroes are counterfeit. The world itself's just one big hoax spamming each other with our burning commentary of bullshit masquerading as insight our social media faking as intimacy or is it that we voted for this not with our rigged elections but with our things our property our money i'm not saying anything new we all know why we do this not because hunger games books makes us happy but because we want to be sedated 
because it's painful not to pretend because we're cowards. Fuck society. Elliot. Elliot, you're not saying anything. What's wrong? Nothing. How did, how did I beat this? This is middle. Who has prospered? <laughs> the town looks to me as friend and council. And landlord and banker. Can we proceed? Thank you. I say the future is ours! What's wrong? Nothing. If you can count! <laughs> this is middle class privileged elite in most countries. You have a pretty good idea of what's going on in the world. But they will not talk. But they will not talk. But they will not talk. Well, there we have another edition of The Renegade Economist. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, check out the show notes at prosper.org.au. Find me on Twitter at EarthSharing. Occasionally on Facebook uh, under the Prosper Australia banner. Stay safe out there as we search for rational solutions to seemingly complex problems. It's the end of the world as we know it. I feel fine. Good morning, slaves, and welcome to 3CR. This is a stimulator. And whenever I want to get some radical propaganda, I listen to 3CR, 855 AM, Melbourne.